Julie Reed. And I'm Dr. Amber Klimczak. And we are Two, Two Peaks in a Pod. Okay, well, welcome back, everybody. Dr. K, how was your Thanksgiving? It was good. It was good. Really nice to have a little break and see family. We went down to Houston. Yeah. And um, weather was pretty, so that was good. Nice. Um, what was your favorite thing that you ate? Oh my gosh. So my in-laws are from Louisiana and mm, so mm -hmm. they do a, this sounds strange, but it's like a rice dressing. I don't know if anyone's oh. ever had that before. It's really mm. good. It's like okay. rice mixed with ground beef. Um, it's really it doesn't yummy. sound that great. It sounds really strange, but that it's really good. That sounds like hamburger helper. If you're out there listening and you've had rice dressing, <laughs> you can test. It's really good. We have traditional mm. dressing. She makes like a cornbread traditional dressing. So yeah. It's like fantastic. But yeah, I was asking all my patients, and the top dish was um, sweet potato casserole. Oh, yeah. That's I a popular that. one. I don't oh. like sweet potato. Well, because I don't like cinnamon. I think it has cinnamon in mm -hmm. it. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So my favorite was either stuffing or maybe deviled eggs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> stuffing. stuffing. I know. That is a Northeastern thing. It is. Northern uh, Somebody <laughs> did explain to me there's a difference between dressing and stuffing, there's but I never did difference. figure it out. But <laughs> all I know is it's good. <laughs> So as you know, I like lived, moved up to the Northeast for a little bit. That's and true. Then I would yeah. come back home, yeah. and my family would always laugh at me that I was eating stuffing. Oh, is that there. so? People don't do that so in the I south. Guess, yeah, I guess okay. they actually stuff the turkey. Okay, what we call dressing. Um, okay. Yeah, so <laughs> um, okay, so I've got a little clip to show you here, and I'm really just gonna. I guess I'll read about it to you. Mm -hmm. So. Um, you know, I love the Kardashians mm -hmm. and the Kardashians, they're on Hulu now. They switched networks. Oh, um, but I did watch a recent episode and I loved the episode because the episode was about the time when Courtney made her pregnancy announcement, Courtney Kardashian. Okay. So if you remember, this was a different podcast episode where we were talking about, for example, when she made the announcement, did she make the announcement too early? Because, you know, she held up the poster board oh, that right. said Travis okay, was pregnant. Courtney, I was thinking about Chloe. Okay, I'm on the yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, she had held up the, mm -hmm. yeah, the poster board. Mm -hmm. And, but then it turned out, we saw a picture of her and we're like, well, she looks really far along. Right. We were right. Because they yeah. kind of showed the behind the scenes and all that. So yeah. she was five months pregnant oh, when she made that announcement. Um, so she kept it a secret for such a long time, which is real. How did she find out? She was wearing like overalls and big clothes and, and all the rest of it. Wow. And remember how too, it was, she was kind of making it seem like when she did the poster board, Travis, I'm pregnant, like that was the announcement to him. But he definitely, of course, knew ahead of time. And I didn't realize she said she did that because that's kind of a known thing. Like at all of his concerts, girls always hold up posters saying, yeah. Travis, I'm pregnant. So that's, it, you know, I think there was like a behind the scenes. <laughs> I think it might have something to do with one of his old songs or oh, something okay. like that. Okay. But anyway, so that's, she thought it would be a cute way to announce it to the world like that. And okay. everything. So I thought it was really special and really cute. Um, but she does say to, uh, to people in the episode, it's a natural pregnancy. And remember, we had kind of talked about this before. I'm not surprised that she's saying it's a natural pregnancy. Um, but we talked about how at age 44, getting pregnant on your own after failed cycles of IVF would be very, very rare. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's not natural, but just statistically, wouldn't you say less than 5% mm -hmm. chance oh, yeah. of, of that happening, right? <clears throat> so she's the lucky, <laughs> less than 5%. Um, but I was thinking, too, maybe there are things you could say um, – where you could say, well, it's natural, but maybe she also had a little bit of help, right? So we had talked about how most people in her situation would probably use an egg donor right. um, to get pregnant. And so I was thinking, well, 
if she used an egg donor, added Travis's sperms to make the embryos. And then if they put the embryo in during just one of her natural cycles, you could probably still call that natural, right? Absolutely. That's what yeah. I was thinking. So you call that a frozen embryo transfer natural cycle. Yeah. And I love natural cycles. I think yeah. that is actually a topic we haven't really discussed. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. A, there's a lot of benefit, I think, to doing, we, I think we really do modified natural cycles, but yeah. using someone's own menstrual cycle to develop the lining and then time the transfer because it does emulate more of what your body would naturally be releasing um, during that time period. So there's a lot of data emerging about those cycles. So I'm very much in support of that. Yeah. So I'm sure when she said natural, she was meaning like, oh, we just did it all on our own Mm -hmm, with our own mm -hmm. eggs or something. But I was like, well, maybe somebody could say this too. And it could still be true even if she had used, for example, her younger sister's eggs or or Mm -hmm. something like that too. Um, conceive. But but the other thing, this is what I wanted to bring up um, to you. She kind of talked about her IVF journey again. And one of the comments she made, I wanted to get your opinion on. She said, well, we did IVF and it took a year for the IVF hormones to wear off. And, and it was something to that effect. That may not be the exact quote. Um, but I wanted to get your feedback on there on that and say, do IVF hormones last in your body for a whole year? A hundred percent false. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) To all of our listeners out there, if you've ever done IVF, those medications are not still in your body a year later. Um, And actually, I think that that is sort of dangerous information to circulate to people because she does have a pretty broad platform um, and you don't want people to be fearful of going through something that maybe they really need to conceive. And so sometimes there is a bit of, you know, just false information about IVF that can make people scared of going through it and certainly don't want people to think that these medications that are something that are lasting in their system. So, you know, there's very, we call them half-lives for these medications. It's the time that your body basically processes the medication and expels it from your body. And there are very short half-lives for these medications that we use. There are really not even enough of them around. We were talking about this earlier today that you have to Take the medication again the next day. There's not enough left in your body by 24 hours later to have any real effects. So certainly not something that could last a year. Yeah, I know. Wouldn't it be nice, actually, if somebody came out with an IVF injection that lasted longer than 24 hours? Because then people wouldn't have to be taking these injections every single day. What if you could just take one shot for your whole IVF cycle? Wouldn't that make it so much easier? Great. I think if yeah. there was something around there, we would be using it. I have heard, actually, I'm trying to think back, that mm-hmm. there is some sort of antagonist that lasts for a few days. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to have to look up what it is. But, yeah. But I think it's not for America or mm-hmm. anything like that, but it was... Something that they were working on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So our antagonist is something that we take to prevent ovulation from happening when you're going through IVF and you have to take it each night. And we've talked about this before. It is mm-hmm. one of those injections that people don't really like to take because it does cause some redness and irritation mm-hmm. at the area of the site. So. Yeah. But you've taught me mm-hmm. we don't even need that injection. Right. We so just we use medroxyprogesterone pills instead and it's been working great. It's so one awesome. less shot our patients have to take. So. Yeah. You know, some of my patients have been telling me recently if they've cycled somewhere else that they were taking six shots per day. Wow. Yeah, because they were having to do morning and evening dosing. I'm like, no, 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 you don't need to do oh, that. Wow. <laughs> I'm like, we can do two shots a day, or if really motivated, we can even get it down to one shot a day. So, well, um, both Dr. Reed and I are needle phobics. Yes. <laughs> and some of you out there know I went through IVF, and if someone mm-hmm. told me I had to do two, six shots, Oh my gosh, I yeah. wouldn't have done it. Yeah. I mean, there's no way yeah. I would have agreed to that. So kudos mm-hmm. to the women out there that are willing to take six shots a day. That's, yeah. I mean, that's a lot. 
Yeah. But wait, I need to go back to Courtney because now I'm yeah. confused. So she did IVF in the past with a different partner? Or was it well, with him? Well, she, I, I don't, so mm-hmm. if she did, I don't know about it, but she did IVF with Travis and she had frozen her eggs when she was younger. Uh, so she had seven frozen eggs that they also thawed and tried to use and that didn't work. Oh. And then I know she did at least one IVF cycle, but it sounds like more with Travis and mm-hmm. that didn't work. And I was actually so happy though, that she shared one of her IVF journeys um, on the show because it's not uncommon sometimes for celebrities to share their fertility stories when they work. Right. But when it doesn't work, a lot of times they don't want to share that information. And I thought it was so helpful that she featured her journey because it was so realistic of, hey, I'm a woman in my 40s going through this journey. I mean, I think she only had maybe one follicle, maybe only got one egg or something. And then it didn't end up, I think, um, I don't know if it wasn't, if it didn't work or if she didn't get an embryo, but I mean, it was heartbreaking to watch, which makes it so, of course, we're so happy for her now that she has mm-hmm. a baby. It's so exciting. Mm-hmm. But um, but I think you're right. Since she's featured her story so broadly, it's so important for us to say, no, we've got to debunk some of the things mm-hmm. that she's saying. Yeah. Yes, she featured a large part of her real journey, but some of the things that she said about fertility are incorrect, and we do need to step in and correct those just to... Um, let patients know and, and make sure that they don't feel scared that that's going to happen to them. And she's and there's been a couple of things. So one is she did say that she was put on some sort of fertility medication that put her in menopause. And um, and so I was thinking maybe she was talking about Lupron medication. Mm-hmm. So we do use this medication sometimes um, for our patients, and it's a medication that does temporarily put you into menopause. And sometimes we're doing this to suppress all of the hormones, and there's different reasons for us to do it, either leading up to egg retrieval or leading up to embryo transfer. Um, but again, it is a medication that does wear off, and your body should normalize um, after the after the treatment. Um, for Lupron, there sometimes can be daily injections, so that wears off very quickly, or there are as long as three-month injections. So certainly I can understand that there may be more prolonged periods of time where you're affected um, by medications longer, but but to say a whole year, I, I, I don't think that's accurate. Mm-hmm. Now, she may have been feeling poorly for other reasons, mm-hmm. but I just, it's not from the IVF medications is what I would say. Mm-hmm. So that's an interesting way to put it. When mm-hmm. you talk about putting your patients on Lupron, mm-hmm. I have never used those words to describe what we call Lupron downregulation. Mm-hmm. Um, putting someone into menopause. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I, I think that's a bit misleading mm-hmm. to tell. And I'm assuming she maybe heard this from her doctor, right? It just as a way to describe it because you're, I mean, that's not exactly what's happening, mm-hmm. right? Because that is another thing that I think lead to fear, right? No yeah. woman is going to, if you tell them, hey, we're well, a medication that's going to induce menopause. And I, mean, specifically, I would probably say no way. Yeah. Specifically, yeah. she even made the comment mm-hmm. that she said, for me, because I take such great care of myself, I eat so clean and everything. For me, IVF medications work as contraception. And and again, that's not, that shouldn't be the case, but, um, but yeah, so it's a little hard wow. without knowing exactly mm-hmm. what she took and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, that's, that's how she's um, described it. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, mm-hmm. and then, so going back to, mm-hmm. she's done IVF before, yeah. she shared a journey of her having one follicle. Yeah. But then now she's conceived. Yes. Naturally. Naturally. Yes. She says that? it's natural. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> 
You know, I think it's so unlikely. I really yeah. do. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's the one hard part for me is I picture my patients mm-hmm. who I've counseled and told them, these are your chances at this age, you know? And then when they just look on TV and they see this, oh, well, it happened for Kourtney Kardashian. Right. All she had to do was wait for her IVF hormones to wear off. And, and it just happens like that. You know, that that's where I'm just like, oh, like, yeah, just, that, it hurts a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think it would be highly unusual. Mm-hmm. Never say never, but yeah. it would be highly unusual. I think it would be a different circumstance if she had never struggled with fertility. Yeah. Never gone through IVF in the past. Mm-hmm. Have this history where someone's really investigated her mm-hmm. ovarian reserve. She's even seen how she responds to treatment. Mm-hmm. But some, you know, someone that's just. I got pregnant at 44, you know, I've certainly seen that Mm -hmm. as spontaneous conception and they probably have five kids already at home, that sort of thing. So I've certainly seen that, but highly unusual for someone who's already been through a lot of fertility treatment Mm -hmm. to conceive spontaneously at 44. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say too, and we've talked about this Mm -hmm. before. Is it any of our business? Right. No, it's yeah. not really. Yeah. Um, but why do we talk about it? More just for our patient's mm-hmm. sake, just to get a perspective mm-hmm. from fertility experts to just kind of say, are these comments true or untrue? And what is the likelihood of somebody getting pregnant naturally at, at 44? Just to have more information um, for, for patients as themselves too. Right. Um, but I did, um, have a question. So do you think there are any hormones though that could last in your body maybe longer than what we would normally see? Yeah. Well, I think there's kind of two thought processes Mm -hmm. about this. One of mine that really comes to mind is that when we do frozen Mm -hmm. embryo transfers, Mm -hmm. the more traditional way to prepare your uterus to receive an embryo Mm -hmm. is through hormone medications. And usually we do it with a patch, maybe an estrogen patch Mm -hmm. or by mouth. But sometimes when people don't really respond well to estrogen, you can actually do a shot of Mm -hmm. estrogen, down estrogen. That is a medication that I have seen it's rarely used. I always say it's kind of like a Hail Mary, right? Mm-hmm. We're really trying to get your to grow. It's rarely used, but I have seen that medication linger. Mm-hmm. So we have some patients that will go on it and, you know, presumably you're just taking it, you're trying to do the transfer and let's say the transfer doesn't work mm-hmm. and you want to start back up again and do another transfer. Mm-hmm. Well, after you have a failed transfer, everything needs to go back to baseline. So we're always mm-hmm. checking hormone levels to make sure they're back to baseline. And what I've seen is a lot of women that were on that injectable estrogen, they're estrogen levels can stay up for quite some time. It's mm-hmm. pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly not a year, but yeah. I have seen several Maybe weeks. Maybe a little longer. Yeah. yeah several mm-hmm. weeks that it would linger and mm-hmm. that would affect you. I mean, mm-hmm. having that estrogen level, certainly you would feel symptoms, I think, from mm-hmm. it because it, it does get pretty high when you inject it. So that's yeah. one case that I have seen levels sort of linger. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, Lupron is another good example. It's yeah. different because it's just the effects of Lupron. Yeah. Um, if you're going to do a three month injection, it's probably going to, you know, last for three months. Mm-hmm. Something that we do not use in the fertility world, but considered a hormone, I would say Depo-Provera. A lot That's of patients, true. Yeah, That's a really a good point. A lot of patients point. use this medication for yeah. contraceptives. So some of you out there listening may know about this. This mm-hmm. is like the progesterone injection that you would get to prevent you from getting pregnant. Mm-hmm. And the idea is, gosh, I'm trying to think back now. I think it's every six months, right, that you're supposed to get it done or every three. Every I three? don't remember. Yeah, it might yeah. be every three. Yeah. We never yeah. give it because we, we don't try to prevent pregnancy. It's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> well, 
last time with mm-hmm. residency. Yeah. I think it might be about yeah. three months. Yeah. And uh, this is actually depot, meaning it's like going to sit in the muscle and fat and slowly release over time. And so it can linger. And I think the way the drug companies did it is they're saying, okay, three months is the effective, you know, we can say you're not going to get pregnant during this time, but it doesn't mean that five, six, seven months, you still don't have some in your system and your periods may not resume back to normal and you can get pregnant very simply at that time. That is one of those contraceptives when people come to see me when they're thinking about getting pregnant. I say, okay, let's switch you to something that does not linger in your body as long and it's more of a quick on, quick off with your fertility. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, Let's also just kind of talk about some of the side effects, though, that people may feel after um, IVF. So I think for sure, right after an egg retrieval, most people probably feel a little bloated, maybe a little bit of nausea or or things like that. I know you've been pretty open with the Mm -hmm. fact that you've done IVF. Did you feel any symptoms after you did yours? Where are you? So I was working nights as a resident Mm -hmm. and you just wear scrubs, Mm -hmm. right? Oh yeah. We wear pajamas to work. We still do. So we never really know if we're bloated. Yeah. So a little time I was just like loosening up my Mm -hmm. my scrub bottoms, no problem. Yeah. But then my family came in town the next night after I had done my retrieval and I was trying to put on jeans. I could not get jeans. And my husband was like, babe, just pull your sweater. Let's go. Like, Yes. Um, I always say is, usually they're the yeah. size of golf balls. Yeah. And then afterwards, they're the size of grapefruits. Yes. Now, they do shrink back down, though, usually by the time you've started yeah. your period or maybe the month after that. But and there's mm-hmm. no way to describe that feeling unless yeah. you felt like, like, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Headaches, I felt, I definitely felt as I, my estrogen levels coming down, mm-hmm. I felt like I had headaches. I felt like that a lot on that result. Yeah. Really terrible headaches. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting to me, too, because everyone's affected so differently Mm -hmm. by the hormones. Mm -hmm. I get some people who their hormones are really high during their IVF, and they love it. Mm -hmm. They're like, I feel amazing. (laughs) And then I have other people who are like, no, I hate it. Isn't it interesting to see how different we all are? It's the same thing with pregnancy, though. That's That's why I tell my patients, I'm like, listen, this estrogen level is nothing to what it's going to be like during pregnancy. And, you know, it's like a little preview. And it's the same thing with pregnancy. It's like women out there are like, I love being pregnant. I felt so good. I yeah. felt better. And yeah. other people were like, that was the most miserable nine months of my life. Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, I do think um, a good one to talk about too in terms of long-term um, effects of IVF, I get asked this one a lot, is concern for cancer. Mm-hmm. Do people ask you about this yeah, a lot too? Yeah. And I mean, I think it's such a good um, question, but fortunately we do have good data on this um, at this point. And I feel like I can always give my patients the reassurance that it does not look like um, doing fertility treatment increases your risk of getting cancer. Right. The only thing that really has been present and consistent throughout the studies is that there seems to be an increased prevalence of something called borderline ovarian tumors. Mm-hmm. These are actually not considered cancer. And we don't actually know if it's from a result of the patient population <laughs> going through treatment for mm-hmm. fertility, meaning if you're an infertile person that you maybe have something that is going to put you at a predisposition to getting a borderline ovarian tumor versus is it the treatment that we're doing to you that's causing this increase in borderline Mm -hmm. ovarian tumors. And most of the studies probably show it's the fact that you're dealing with infertility. 
fertility. Yeah. And I think really too, even just being pregnant in and of itself is kind of an anti-cancer treatment. Mm -hmm. We know that it can lower risk of multiple different types of female cancers that we get when you're pregnant and you have a baby. So um, I think it's actually a good thing to to undergo fertility treatment um, for patients if, if they um, winter are open to it. And I always think it's a little bit interesting too, when people ask, because sometimes when we review their lifestyle, they're doing other things that have been known to cause cancer. If you're a smoker, it can cause cancer. Alcohol, and this is what always surprises so many people, alcohol has been known to cause seven different types of cancer. And so really, if you're looking at how, what are things I can do to lower my risk of cancer? One of the most common I see is, well, make sure you're not drinking or smoking at all. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And the other thing I'm thinking about too, not necessarily going through fertility treatment, but something like endometriosis can put you at a higher risk of certain ovarian cancers Mm -hmm. as well. So Mm -hmm. there's other things that patients in our population are going to be at risk for. Mm -hmm. Same thing, you know, not necessarily from medications they're taking, but... Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think probably one of the biggest things that I found in terms of IVF's long-term effects is how it affects you emotionally and psychologically and everything too. And so it would be so interesting in Courtney's case, had her IVF worked for her, her if she would have framed that differently in mm-hmm. her mind, how her journey went and all of that. You know? I completely, mm-hmm. completely agree. And mm-hmm. especially my patients that really have been going through treatment for many, many years. Mm-hmm. I've even had Sometimes um, patients will bring their parents with them yeah. um, to some of their, you know, ultrasounds. And I had a really heartfelt conversation one time with the mother mm-hmm. of one of my patients mm-hmm. who was going through treatment. And she asked me that question. She mm-hmm. was just like, similar to what Courtney was saying. She's like, I just feel like the medications have changed my daughter. Mm-hmm. You know, the last two years, she's just mm-hmm. a different patient. She's just a different person than she was two years ago. It's the mm-hmm. medications, you know, they've just changed her. And we really sat down and we chatted for a long time about how I actually think it's a product of the circumstance. Mm-hmm. It's really hard for yeah. women to go through all of this investigation, diagnosis, yeah. procedures, treatment, failed mm-hmm. treatment, you know, and I think mentally that does take a toll on you. And Absolutely. I wonder more so if it's that aspect and not the mm-hmm. medications, even yeah. though we know are not necessarily present in the system. Absolutely. And I think actually that kind of pulls into play what we're trying to do in our field of fertility, which is, I think for years, clinics are so focused on success rates, which of course are very important. We're very focused on that too, but by the wayside has been, how is your patient doing emotionally and psychologically and how can we better support them? How can we make them feel more comfortable as they go through this journey? And I just know like every little step that we do is really trying to focus on any of those things. And and patients, if you have any ideas for us, tell us we are all ears. We want to make this journey better. And it was really interesting because I was having a conversation with somebody the other day, because for as fertility doctors, oftentimes we are so focused on did you have a baby or not? Like, did I do it? Did I do a good job? Like, because we want to do such a good job for our patients. But sometimes what's probably even more important is for your patient who didn't get pregnant, did you make them feel taken care of? Did you support them? Did you help them through that really hard process? And I would say, I think that's even harder to do right for us, you know, for us to make those phone calls and have those appointments with patients who maybe are trying and trying, it's not working. It's, it's hard for us to do, but it's probably the most important part of what we do too. It's so important mm-hmm. because the two affect each other. Yeah. For example, mm-hmm. I see all the time if people have been to, let's say, a very sterile feeling clinic yeah. where they didn't have any connection with their physician, 
they may go through one treatment and it doesn't work and they feel discouraged Mm -hmm. and not supported and they give up. Such a good point. And then really what probably that patient needs is support and encouragement to keep trying because ultimately they they may be successful and it's really not about the fact that you did this amazing thing in one try and that we encourage them to continue trying and, and you, that's, Everything is about a cumulative pregnancy rate, right? It's all about yeah. continuing to try. So Exactly, exactly. And I think it's just so important that your patient feels like you're all on a team together. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, should we wrap it up for the week? Yes. Okay, good. All right. Bye, everybody. Have a great week.